Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Left Turn Canada. Andy Burkowski, Christo Avalis here. And last week, we we left you all with a task to come to us and you know tell us what you think about the show, what you like about it, what you want to change. Thank you to all the people that did reach out. If you still want to uh, send us a message, you know, there's many different places, Twitter, Discord, uh, send us an old fashioned email and we'd, we'd love to hear from you. We we did hear one thing from a few people that I think is important. It's how much we rely on polling Christo on our show. So I thought it'd be appropriate right now to start our election show for the Ontario election. Let's talk about some polls. <laughs> so yeah. what, we're still we're talking about it, folks. I'm sorry. It's important information. Uh, we, there has been some polling in the last week that might not be very good for uh, more progressives here in Ontario that are hoping for, you know, not a conservative majority or a Del Duca neoliberal hellscape. So what is uh, some of the polling that we have right before this election really starts to heat up? Well, if you look at polling Canada, they do like a polling aggregate. It does show uh, that the conservatives are mostly steady and that there does seem to be a move towards uh, the liberals as a kind of strategic option. Right. For much of the last few months, the ONDP and the Ontario liberals were tied ish in the polling averages. But now there's like a six ish, seven ish point gap. Now, we should say that it's still very early. The election hasn't really started yet. Like Ritz coming. Um, you know, the rich drop is going to be coming. Uh, people are finally going to start paying attention. Uh, there's a greater chance that people are going to start decoupling, you know, uh, their understanding of the uh, federal and provincial politics, which happens more during the elections proper. And we haven't even really had like a formal debate yet. That's like been during the election period. So, um, that's one of the signs right now. Although Brian Breguet from the, um, who, who helps run, one of these, I, which site does he run? Does he run, he might run, he runs too close to call, mm. which is a prediction site. And what he suggests is that, um, um, what he suggests is that while Ford is clearly in the lead, his analysis shows it is not nearly as, um, it is not nearly as dire as we thought. Mm. His projection shows that, you know, a, a conservative uh, majority is not uh, as likely as maybe it was a little bit ago and that there is a chance that you could see some sort of minority situation. You know, likely, looking at the numbers, the conservatives with the most seats and the most votes, but not necessarily enough to form a majority, creating a situation where you do have the potential to have a minority, right? And that's, I think, what a lot of people, uh, you know, don't want to see is another, you know, false majority from the conservatives, which is why so many people have been talking about electoral reform. We'll talk a little bit about it later, but the ONDP platform has, you know, a commitment to implement a mixed member proportional voting system. You know, the liberals have said they're going to basically bring in a ranked ballot. So, uh, which is not proportional, of course, but it would in some limited ways address some of the, uh, you know, the, 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 you know, strategic voting concerns, uh, it's a uh, it's an interesting time. Right mm -hmm. Now, now that that 
that number coming out that maybe it isn't as dire and, you know, already a foregone conclusion that uh, the four dynasty will continue. It has to lend credence to this idea of an agreement or even an, an actual official coalition between, you know, the uh, the liberals, the NDP and the Green Party. So uh, do you have any information on that of like the likelihood of, you know, what voters are thinking about that idea? We saw that agreement being uh, enacted federally, which I think you know, maybe just logically that would lead more people to consider it as a viable option provincially. Um, yeah. Do we have any info on that at this point? Because I, I do think that's going to be a big talking point as this election uh, continues. Yeah. I mean, Abacus actually did a poll earlier in the week. I don't know if people don't like us talking about polls, but I feel like it's important. And I understand people have like a concern sometimes with like quote unquote, like data driven narratives, but you know, in some ways, uh, polls help us to understand things in a way that's not purely driven by like anecdote, right? Mm-hmm. And not everyone can have anecdote. In some in some ways, polls can be more accessible manners for regular people to express their opinions if the polls are done correct. And of course, that's a massive if. yeah. Yeah. How but, often do we get opinions from people that you know are kind of political sickos, right? The idea of having this polling gives us insight into things that we could never assume. Like we we don't know anyone or even uh, I think exchange circles with people that believe that Ford should have a majority in Ontario. Oh yeah. Right. If, 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 (laughs) yeah, I, I, I look at the thing. I don't, I don't even know. I mean, look, maybe there's some people in my life, you know, anecdotally who are like around me and I'm like, okay, maybe that person votes for Ford. I do not regularly speak to a single voter of the conservative party. Yeah, me either. I do not regularly speak to one. And maybe that's like my fault or whatever. But if I didn't have (laughs) things like polling... I w- I'd be like, what the fuck's going on on election night, right? You would never guess that Ford yeah. would have a majority. Like, we've talked no. about all of the horrible things his yeah. government has done. The, the cronyism sure that led to death. Go ahead, like, sorry. You know, in rural ridings who maybe don't speak to very many NDP voters or yeah. what have you or any, right? Like, you know, who knows? But what this shows is that there is strong support overall for some kind of deal. Mm. It doesn't specify a formal coalition or like a supply and confidence or anything like that. It doesn't specify. It says, what if Ford wins a minority? Would you support or oppose the NDP liberals and greens working together to form a new government? And what it basically shows is 48% support, 31 oppose, 20% not sure. And predictably mm. so, um, mo- the, you know, most of the support, um, most of the support uh, comes from the non-conservative voters. Although, interestingly, you know, there are small minorities of liberal NDP and Greens that don't support it for whatever reason. Uh, 17% of liberals would not support a deal in a minority. 14% of NDPers wouldn't. 8% of Greens. But what's interesting is that 23% of conservatives would support it. So 66 opposed, 23 support. Uh, So I don't know if those are just people that maybe like the idea of uh, you know, uh, some kind of hybrid government. I don't know. <laughs> They're outsmarting what, themselves yeah. out of power. You know, yeah, they believe not, they know they better get or something. The question, you know? Maybe but yeah. like, <laughs> but in general, the, the there's there it's, 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 you know, 48 to 31, nearly a majority of Ontarians. And I'm sure if you made those not sure people pick, you know, you know, the it would push it over 50% would support a deal 
between two or three of the opposition parties to throw out Ford. Uh, and the strongest thing, you know, and, and uh, only 19% strongly oppose, mm-hmm. for instance, um, which is, and 23% strongly support. Yeah. So, the you know, in general, it seems like there is an appetite for it. And there's been a lot of discussion from other parties to, to, to you know, to, to, to have this sort of deal that their, their number one goal would be to stop Ford. Now, the question becomes, and I've talked about this before, is it depends on the scenario, right? Mm-hmm. Like a lot of this is going to depend on the scenario. How close is Ford to a majority? Is it just one? Can two parties do it? Does it require three? Um, you know, which party is in second? Which party is in third? matters too because i really feel this is the case and maybe i'm wrong but the liberal party would let ford govern before giving horwath the premiership right <laughs> so, now, so in that scenario it's if the liberals were the, in third place you don't think yeah it would very so likely, i'm yeah. not suggesting that for instance let's say the ndp wins a minority i'm not necessarily suggesting that del duca will form a coalition with ford i think ideologically that would probably suit del duca better than letting the ndp government uh, govern but his party would 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 revolt right yeah. like ford is hated they you know they they don't they don't their want entire ford campaign in even yeah. even now is about exactly. how we're the alternative to ford so it just wouldn't so work. he would like he would just let the ndp govern hope for hope for like a short you know 18 month government and maybe get another shot type thing but you know in a scenario where the conservatives finish first but they're in a minority position and you know the the liberals are in 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 second I really do see a deal likely happening mm-hmm. because one, the NDP I think is more genuine in their opposition to Ford because ideologically there's more distinction there. And fundamentally, I think, you know, they, they actually care about turfing conservatives, whereas the liberals I think are more cynical about it at the, at the party level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and liberal voters I think are by and large quite, quite sincere in their desire to see Ford gone, but uh, the party less so. Um, would make a deal with the NDP. And the terms of that deal would depend on a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Um, how many how many seats the NDP has, how many seats the Liberals have, all of that, right? Uh, if the NDP finishes second, though, and the Conservatives win, but win with a minority, I do wonder if the Liberals make a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the membership will want it. Maybe, maybe, maybe a good chunk of Liberal MPPs will want it. But I think there's a real sense in the Liberal Party that if they lose to the NDP twice, like if they finish behind the NDP twice in a row and the NDP is able to form a government, then they could face extinction. Yeah, they'll never right? be the or alternative if, here anymore. Or, if, or if they, you know, like, look, it wasn't until Rachel Notley's surprise win that the Ontario, that the Alberta NDP was seen as a, a clear alternative over the Alberta Liberals. Mm-hmm. In some elections, the Alberta Liberals beat them. Um, you know, and the one time the NDP won now, I don't know forever, but it seems like probably for the next generation or so, the Alberta NDP is going to be the non-conservative option yeah. there. You know, maybe the, I think the Alberta Liberal Party technically still exists. Like it is still a, an entity that mm-hmm. has, you know, that exists. Like I'm sure they have a mailing address still and all of those <laughs> sorts of things, but they, um, but they're like, they're dead, right? In all yeah. function. And, you know, even if that's not quite so dire for the Ontario Liberals, maybe it ends up being a Manitoba Liberal situation where the party exists, they can win some seats, 
but maybe they become the party of particular regions. Mm. Maybe they could become the party of the Francophone minority in and around the national capital region and certain parts of Southern Ontario. Like, who knows, right? Like, that might be their future if the Ontario NDP forms a government. And they'd and never so want that to happen. They would do anything yeah, to stop exactly. that. <laughs> Because, you know, in any province where the NDP has a couple good elections, where they win in a, a couple times or clearly become the second choice, one of the liberal or conservative parties either disappear, becomes a specialist party, or they merge in some sense. Mm -hmm. It's kind of what happened in BC, Saskatchewan as well, uh, Manitoba a little bit different because, again, the Manitoba liberals still exist, but... Um, you know, they, they don't compete for government. It's like, you know, these are all effectively two party systems, right? Mm -hmm. um, with, you know, uh, small parties that can win a seat here or there, like the BC Greens, for instance, are, are part of that. But in general, I think the Ontario Liberals will be reluctant to make a deal with the NDP. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I that that's where I think I'm at, although I could be wrong. Right. The membership might be very clear. There might be pressure from within the caucus if there, you know, there might be some members of that caucus that are actually genuine in their desires to see this happen. I, I'm not sure. But mm. that that is something Ontarians want, like especially anybody that's that's voting non-conservative. Again, if you vote, if you're voting non-conservative, basically uh, a super majority of non-conservative voters say any way we can get it done, we want Ford gone. Mm -hmm. Coalition, supply and confidence, one of the parties wins a majority over Ford, blah, blah, blah. One of the, 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 the parties wins a minority government, but Ford is out. Like, that's enough for us. And that there is appetite for that, which I think is why a lot of the parties are talking about, are, are at least saying they're open to making a deal, and they're talking about electoral reform whether it's the Liberals with their rank ballot or the NDP with proportional. I assume the Greens. I haven't followed their platform as closely, although there is good things in there. Yeah, they I'm won really good I'm assuming they are thing. talking about uh, electoral reform. Obviously, that's that's often a, a priority of theirs as well. I, I do wonder, because obviously the camps have, all the war camps have this information. They know exactly, probably even more advanced polling, internal polling on these sorts of issues. As we saw in the previous Ontario election, a big cudgel for the Liberal Party was the idea of equating the NDP with the Conservatives. You know, a vote yeah. for the, uh, the NDP is actually a vote for the Conservatives. If that, you know, same sort of textbook campaigning continues throughout, uh, you know, May here, if we if we see the same thing from the Liberal Party, which we might have to, because, you know, as we see where these where their numbers are coming from, they kind of do have to get a lot of those people that flipped to uh, NDP and now go back to liberal. If we see that, doesn't that hurt the chances of any sort of meaningful, you know, agreement if the numbers do shake out where, you know, the liberals are in the number two spot and it kind of makes sense they can form a government? Or are we so past the idea that there needs to be consistency with our leaders that they can just say kind of whatever the fuck they want during a campaign? Oh, they're going to say whatever the fuck so they it, want. So you really like, think like, like, like Trudeau, they could spend Trudeau and, a yeah, month? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Do really? you remember, like, oh. Kamala, like, look, I don't want to get too American, but do you remember Kamala Harris? <laughs> like, basically called Joe Biden Jim Crow Joe. I don't know yeah. if she didn't rescue you. And she basically accused him of, like, being, like, Dirty fucking racist. And look, honestly, with, with, with a great deal of validity when she said that. And, and you know, all of these things were said, and um, lo and behold, um, she was his vice president. Mm-hmm. And she was even asked about this. Like after she was picked to be VP, she went and did interviews and she was like, it was a debate. 
right? Like it was a debate. Like I, I said the shit I thought I needed to say to score the points I needed to win delegates. Of course, Kamala Harris won a grand total of zero delegates. Uh, but the, the 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 real factor is that people are going to say whatever the whatever they want. Yeah. I mean, the Ontario NDP and the Ontario Liberals spent time attacking each other in the last election as well. And I know the deal didn't get made right after the election, like it took some time, but it wasn't as urgent because the Liberals were governing in a minority position, and mm -hmm. that's kind of been held. You wonder if in this case, when the parties have talked about that, that there is going to be this mm. desire... To, it has uh, bit sing a little bit deal. though. Like I do think people are talking about the the inconsistency of some of the campaigning, and then of course the agreement. Like a lot of the oh, yeah. uh, criticism people, is from that yeah, side. Yeah, people are right? going to be the politics is fucking cynical and disgusting. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's perfectly reasonable to look at it and say, okay, these parties that ostensibly want to make a deal with one another are at each other's throats. You know, Kamala Harris calls Joe Biden like one of the ar architects of like certain racial systems. And then they're 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 running mates five months later. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, people are, are, are right to see that as cynical. But, you know, parties will often campaign against one another, sometimes quite harshly in Europe under proportional systems. But when push comes to shove, like, you know, that there's going to be a period of de deal making at excuse me, after the fact, right? Yeah, yeah. And so in, maybe in Canada, we're not as used to that because, you know, we, we, we have a lot of minority governments, of course, but they're not all the time. And coalitions are, are almost non-existent in yeah. Canada. I think except for World War One, effectively, we had like a coalition government. Um, but like, you know, uh, coalitions are, are, are non-existent and even supply deals are rare mm -hmm. um, that people just assume that like it's not going to happen. But... Look, could be, I like, think, it could be a problem to people listening yeah. to your voice right now. Like we do have a lot of kind mm -hmm. of die in the wool of, of actual socialists and progressives, wherein the belief system is almost kind of sullied by having to make these sort of deals. We talked about like, it look, with the like, liberal. Let's be real. Yeah. Let's be real. If we had a proportional system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like and we had like, say, a five percent threshold and like the left was having some success. A communist party would attack the NDP. Mm -hmm. The NDP would probably attack the communist party, but there is a chance they might work together in a new parliament. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> There's a chance, right? There's a chance that, you know, the, the, the PPC would attack the conservatives and vice versa in that system, but there's a chance they would try to make some sort of deal once they get into parliament. Like that's mm -hmm. like, that's like the democracy of it all. Right. Uh, and so, what I will say is it's I I am more confident about a deal this time than in in the past, maybe, because there is a lot of distaste for Ford among the non-conservative voting electorate. Uh, and both parties have kind of said they're open to it. Uh, I, I think there's a chance. Now, there's variables, of course, again, uh, which party finishes second and third in a scenario where the NDP and the Liberals finish second and third. Um, but also, um, you know, do leaders get turfed? Yeah. Leaders get turfed. Do new leaders that come in have a different priority? Like, who knows? That That's a wild card. Like, let's say Del Duca finishes third. He doesn't want to make a deal, or maybe he does, but he gets turfed. We end up with a scenario like, let's say, in the late 2000s where Stéphane Dion, when he was leader of the Liberal Party, wanted to make a deal with Jack Layton to form a, like a, an actual coalition government like a real deal NDP liberal cabinet combined with 
the the block providing the votes but being fully outside right like the block being like a like part of the supply and confidence deal but not part of the government when the liberals turfed him and brought in ignatieff the deal wasn't on the table anymore mm. right so it could be the case that you know uh del duca wants to make a deal his caucus doesn't or vice versa and they bring in someone that does want to make a deal doesn't like these are all variables and, and honestly in consider. retrospect for the liberal party that decision has if we look you know in hindsight kind of worked out for them with what they've got yeah, with they Trudeau. Got, yeah but they got real lucky though right yeah because I suppose, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> in between that they lost another election yeah. and then they you know they almost died Jack Layton not dying of cancer. I think there's a decent chance maybe he becomes prime minister. Like, you know, like, yeah, like they, they took after they made that move, they took the biggest beating the Liberal Party has ever, ever taken since 1867. Right. And like ultimately outside of that, you're right. They did ultimately come back. But um, it's hard to I don't attribute know. it to that. Yeah, yeah that yeah, decision, because yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people, frankly, wanted Harper gone. Yeah. A lot of a lot of liberal and NDP and block voters wanted him gone and with good reason, of course. And they said, OK, this is our opportunity. And, you know, Jack was willing to make a deal with multiple liberal leaders and even the block was willing to be a part of this deal. And then all of a sudden we get this new liberal guy and now he's like propping up Harper. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't I don't like this. Right. And that was maybe one of the factors that 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 led to Jack's rise. Maybe a, a small factor. Well, that's so something to consider here. Happen. Then that's something yeah. to consider here provincially. Because if we if that happens, and I do think it's it seems like kind of likely, would be, people could be pissed at Del Duca, right? Yeah, if they Del could be Duca, really if, pissed. Yeah, yeah, you know, or to Andrea, right? Like yeah. if if she like doesn't want to make a deal, then yeah, people people might be pissed. NDP and Liberal and Green voters at somebody who is perceived uh, as not doing what it takes. To get rid of Ford, right? Yeah. And all of this is conjecture right now because, again, people could be lying. Maybe they actually don't want to make a deal. Uh, Ford could technically have a minority but be one seat short, and it might not be seen as a deal being feasible. We don't know, right? Mm -hmm. But if we end up in a scenario where uh, a deal is possible and someone is seen as, as, as not playing ball, they their people are going to be pissed. Yeah. And I, I we haven't said it so far on the show, but I, I do think that a, a deal, even if it is, you know, very ineffectual and maybe has, you know, a, a liberal leader and, you know, brings us to a point of neoliberalism here in Ontario, based on what we've seen of what the Ford government has done during this pandemic, you know, the direct decisions that have led to deaths just for profit and gain. I do think that is a worthy compromise at this moment. Like, I, I do think that that would be a good... I don't think it's worth the NDP maintaining even, you know, the, the moral standing that they do right now to make sure there's a clarity of all of their moral values. They get everything to the letter or else they don't join this sort of deal if it ensures that Ford is gone. Like, I, I do think he is one of the uniquely horrible leaders that is just leading to direct death in this province in ways that we haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, it's a it's a different situation that's, that's calling this, uh, causing this disaster. Who knows how other horrible leaders would have dealt with it. But I, I do think that a coalition, an agreement, you know, the trying to get Ford out is a good uh, campaign strategy because I think a lot of people would get behind it. You know, Krista, what we talked about, how feasible it is. Do you think it's a good idea? <laughs> I mean, we have to see the terms of the deal. Yeah. But like, even I if think, it's shitty, even yeah, if it's a bad one, man, well, what like, do you think? Like, I mean, my view is that I think you probably got to try to get something done. 
You got to get yeah. something done. I think that, for instance, not everyone supports the federal deal that the NDP made, but there was good things in that deal nonetheless. And I, I think that if you can achieve some good things in this, in this Ontario deal, it would be beneficial, right? And maybe even, like you said, maybe more urgent. Because again, yeah. with the liberal deal, what that really was, you already had, a, you already didn't have a conservative government. You didn't have an O'Toole or a Polyevra or a Sheer as prime minister. You, 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 you know, you just kind of shored up the the current composition of parliament for another couple of years is what you did. Mm-hmm. Um, the NDP may be in a position to make more demands. The may, NDP may be in a position to make more demands of their own to put more of their platform, but also to put pressure on the liberals to live up to their platform because mm-hmm. it'll be fresher in the voters' minds. Not just, we want NDP things, we actually think a lot of the things in your platform are good, and we don't necessarily trust you to do them, because you're mm-hmm. the Liberal Party, so like, let's let's get your good things done and our good things done, and let's have a productive government. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's possible. That's, like, that's a yeah. possible outcome. Yeah, 100%. It is interesting. So let, let's yeah. get into some actual meat, because... I do want to talk did... about one thing, oh, though. Just one because... more before we dive in? All right, let's hear Yeah, it. well, I just, I just maybe a little bit of an intermission. Last week we talked about housing, and I don't know if people are following this, but houses are expensive. Yes, indeed. And I do. I, I want to say, uh, uh, and and this will end with a a good good natured shout out to the Green Party. I know sometimes we're hard on the Green Party, but we're going to give them a shout out today. Um, so it turns out that houses are expensive in Canada, and there is also a young woman from Canada who is lighting up the Jeopardy world right now. I don't know Ooh. if people watch Jeopardy, but her name's Matea Roach. I don't know if she's on it still. I don't follow it every day, but she's actually one of the big, biggest Jeopardy winners in history, right? Like awesome. she's one like she's like she's one of the best at it. She's young, she's only 23. Uh she's one of she's won, you know, more than a dozen games now. And her dream with her massive Jeopardy winnings is to buy one house. <laughs> this is from the Toronto Star. They they did a report on her, and they said Matteo Roach said her record record breaking Jeopardy experience isn't all about the money, but it's bringing her one step closer to the goal of home ownership in Canada's hot market. In my case, the rich parents are just Jeopardy. Roach, who is as of, <laughs> as of today was who as of Tuesday was on the longest Jeopardy winning streak of any Canadian, has racked up 368,981 US dollars in winning over the course of 16 games. And her streak is not yet. 16 games? 16 games and she still can't buy a house. That's still not enough for a house here. Yeah, no, even when you convert that, that's like five something, maybe six or something. Yeah, Um, yeah, over the course of 16 games and may win even more money. Like, you know, not all the episodes have aired yet. So she could lose tonight. She Maybe she lost yesterday, but she could keep going. At 23 years of age, she was doing pretty well paying rent in Toronto and getting by with various part-time and contract jobs, but student loans hung over her head, and the dreaming of owning a home one day seemed maddeningly far off. It's a little bit grim that I had to go on a game show, and not just appear on a game show, but literally be one of the top contestants ever on that show, to feel like I now have some chance of having financial security in my 20s. For now, Roach said she plans on paying off her student loans from her undergraduate degree, paying tuition on future education, and investing what remains in the hopes of making a home purchase one day. Anytime somebody asks what you're going to do with the money, it's like, well, I don't have an answer for you, Roach said. So that's <laughs> like, that's, that's like, let's think about that. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> that's um, that's where we're at. That you could be <sighs> a, a, a not just a good Jeopardy player, but like a great Jeopardy player. One of the best. One, one of the, the, be- the best yeah, Canadian. You know, yeah. The best Canadian. Yeah. You know, ever one of the best, uh, maybe maybe close to being the best woman ever as well. Like like honestly, like a, a, a true Jeopardy champion. And she's like, I'd like a house. Like I want a house, please. That's where we're at. So I just thought people would enjoy would, would enjoy that, oh, that tidbit. Oh man, it's it like is that morbid, heart, You know those man. like sickeningly sickeningly heartwarming stories. You know yeah. where it's like heartwarming. Child sells lemonade to fund mother's brain surgery. <laughs> Right. Mother still dies. Sorry. Yeah. Heartwarming. (laughs) You know, man, you know, walks seven hours to work showing the spirit of entrepreneurship. Right. Like these these fucking stories. Right. That you see on on social media all the time. That one was like heartwarming. Boomers work for free at restaurant because millennials (laughs) won't take. You know what I mean? Like to save local restaurants like these sorts of stories. And this one is sort of like that. Like, you know, girl achieves dream of home ownership by becoming the best in the world. Like at something, right? Like, but she's yeah. such a boss about like yeah. she is completely aware and is like, yeah, this is fucked up that I have to do this. Yeah, yeah, no, it was like, really that's good the great for her part to, too. to make that connection to not simply just say, oh, maybe I can have a house and like that's cool for me. But it's like she's like, it's kind of ridiculous that this is the only path towards. It's kind of the best thing that anyone who does have rich parents has to say. Like, if you're ever in a situation where you do have these opportunities and you're lucky, you just got to say, like, yeah, "Yeah, obviously, I'm lucky. And I had rich parents. I did. I worked pretty hard. Great. But it doesn't really matter because it was all luck. Like, if if your narrative is different than that, and maybe we didn't hit that hard enough last week, then you're you're kind of you're part of the problem, right? Oh, yeah. You ever see that article? It's it's a Beaverton article. It's like, you won't believe how long it took us in this article to mention uh this millennials trust fund when they bought the house i know i butchered the headline there but you know what i mean right like yeah. they mention it at the end of the thing it's like after oh she works two jobs and has all these savings and you know uh keeps a really good budget and also has six hundred thousand dollars from daddy and mom, yeah never right? does like, only does yeah. makes her own lattes every day yeah exactly right thing. like you know what i mean things like that so um, with that in mind, I mean, like uh, the housing was last week's episode, and I think people enjoyed that one. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Greens in Ontario actually have a decent policy, and I hope that uh, the NDP, if they do form a government, would consider implementing something like this, because I think it's a good idea on a couple fronts. It's the a lot Greens, of what we talked about last yeah. week. It really, like, it touches on it. Yeah, well, the Greens say they propose, they're proposing a 20% tax on the purchase of residential housing by an individual or corporate buyer who already own two or more homes, which is to say you can own a home and a cottage, let's say, or, or what have you. But if you want to buy a third property, you'll have to pay a 20% surcharge in tax to do so. I think this is good. I've heard some people complain, like, what about the, the mom and pop landlords who own only own two dozen properties or what you know oh, what I mean? Jesus. Like this kind of bullshit, right? Like I've seen some of that. You're not mom and pop if you have more yeah. than like one other home. Like that seems pretty clear that like you are mom and pop if you have one property and you're still probably a tyrant like chances are that's still kind of shitty but yeah if you have three homes under your own ownership and you both of them are income properties you yeah. can afford a 20 percent tax on one of them yeah so i i think that it's a reasonable uh policy and i think it's good for a couple fronts i mean like it's not even necessarily like a quote-unquote anti-developer policy I actually think you could spin this being pro-development if, if you're being honest. Uh, somebody mentioned this on Twitter. One of my, what I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but if, if you mention this and you're listening, thank you. Uh, but they basically <laughs> said, like, 
this doesn't allow I, I believe this doesn't cover building new property right oh and interesting so if you if you're um if you build a new property i don't believe this affects you and so um i think that that allows you to uh to you know operate in in a sense better than that or it allows you to build property and to sell it right so if mm-hmm. you want to you know build a house and sell it like you know that you know adds to the housing stock and that will either be rented to someone or owned by somebody but the 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 biggest blow to affordable housing in some ways are people who you know see the existing already limited housing stock in many in many markets and then what they do is they hoard houses yeah, they, they use it as a buy. speculative asset, which yeah. is what this stops, right? Somebody said, or like, it's kind of like stop. scalping in a way, right? Like, it's kind of yeah. like scalping tickets, right? Like, in, in yeah. some ways, I know it's not the same. It's worse in some ways because with scalpers, uh, you know, uh, the, the tickets lose all their value at a certain interval. Mm-hmm. And so they're incentivized to, uh, at some point, consider dumping the tickets t- uh, for a more affordable price. Housing that doesn't really apply. Um, as long as they can remain solvent, they don't need to sell their 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 holdings. Uh, and so I think this is good. I think this is good. Uh, the current system just has people buying up houses that they either don't even rent and they just keep for speculation, which drives up the price of housing in general, or and they rent them. makes a house that yeah. no one lives in either. Yeah. Like, it's just horrifying. <laughs> and so I think, you know, this will be good. And I think it will um, it, it will help address issues. Uh, and it's not too. like the racist narrative either. Like that, I think is is big. Yeah, that it's anytime not blaming there was a liberal foreigners. leader. Yeah, yep. whenever there's a liberal leader, I think we didn't feature it on the show last week because we already had a clip. Yeah, from yeah. Uh, Freeland, but you know Trudeau yeah, doubled Trudeau down came even up the harder. Next day, yeah, even worse. Yeah, the the Freeland one, you could be charitable to her. Say mm-hmm. she didn't necessarily blame the immigrants, but just said Canada's got a really high population increase which is driven almost entirely by immigrants. But then Trudeau basically comes out and blames the immigrants like the next day, right? Like yeah. and he says, like, oh yeah, immigration is driving up house prices basically. Yeah. We just can't build enough. There's no. too many people. We just can't build. Like yeah. it's a, it's crazy to think of it in those terms when it just, yeah. we we looked at the numbers. Like it's, it's clear that is not the reason why. Yes, that we need to build more, but it's not because new immigrants yeah. are coming and taking it over. Like that's just yeah. not why it's increased by, I think 44% in the last year and a half. Like it yeah, just doesn't make sense. Look at the, you know, like our prices have risen faster than the U S but even, I bet if you controlled for immigration, it would still, um, you know, ours would still be rising quite quickly. Um, uh, but yeah. no, I, I do think that's a good policy. I mean, housing remains a big issue and frankly, uh, most parties haven't been willing to take it on. Maybe this green policy will be seen as good because, like, yeah, I guess it's technically anti-homeowner, quote unquote, but most people don't own, mo- most most people I, I don't think own multiple properties, of course. The average Ontarian, on, again, on average, does own property. I believe the majority of Canadians are homeowners, at least once you get to a certain age. But most people don't own two properties and certainly don't own three, right? Mm-hmm. And so I guess maybe most people will think to themselves, this doesn't affect me. I'm only ever going to own one house and maybe a cottage somewhere. Um, you know, this is a good policy to stop home hoarding. Yeah. yeah, the, and, the, yeah. the number still seems pretty modest to me, though. It, yeah, like 20 percent seems wild. People have said because you think of retro, especially with the market as hot as it is right now, you might yeah. think to yourself, I'll recuperate that 20 percent 
it'll just take me an extra two or three years. So instead of making a profit after five, I'll make a profit after seven. Just, mm-hmm. you, know, a, you know, massive profit, just holding on to the house. Um, some people have suggested that maybe it's 20% on the first house and then, you know, it's by house five, it's 50%. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the 20% for the third house and it rises from there. Yeah, if anything, people uh, in the comments, a lot of them were like, this is great, but it, it could be even more uh, stringent. So we'll mm-hmm. see uh, if if parties will take this kind of policy on. I mean, the Greens will be unlikely to form government, but if we do aren't a minority, it'll be interesting. Like, what do, what, what do the Greens put forward as their priority if we really are in a scenario where the one or maybe two green seats are necessary to topple Ford. It'll be interesting to see what they demand because they'll have a lot of power in that case. That could, they could really sway it in a way, especially since this is one of the first things that they're bringing up on their platform. Like this is, it's said by uh, the party leader that this is like our, our focus, that it's Mm -hmm. very, very important. So like you said, if, if this, if his seat is, is in the sway a little bit, he could definitely push to get something like this. And I think it needs to be said I hope we said it last week that the enemy of you, the average Ontarian that is hoping to buy a home is the company that owns 30,000 homes. Yeah, exactly, they are the people right? that are hurting you and hurting our economy and making it harder for yeah. you to participate in an economy that kind of requires you, unfortunately, to own property, to be a value in our economic system, which is yeah. wrong and it needs to change. But those people are the enemies. So even this very modest and yeah. starting point by the And Green I don't even Party, know if it would be grandfather. They'd probably be grandfathered yeah. in those schools. But like, yeah, no, like this would be, this this is good. This is good. This is good policy right. from the Green Party. Let's talk Ontario NDP because they released a big old platform this week. Yeah, I think it was almost a yeah. hundred pages. Yeah, and one of the first. Uh, I, they're the only party I think that has their full, you know, platform out. Yeah. Yeah, and they they have some good things. Like I I did a brief look. I know you did uh, a bigger deep dive, but a lot of the the points that are really uh, standing out to me is. They're raising the minimum wage, 20 bucks by uh, 2026, yeah. 10 permanent personal emergency leave days for all workers, which is kind of essential, uh, a four-day work week pilot. I saw something that I, I really liked that I, I, I saw was kind of hidden was uh, a real look at COVID, like to actually look at the, the study of how our yeah. province dealt with this, the effects of long COVID, like a real public inquiry into discovering what happened there, annual reporting to make sure we prepared for the next one, which is such a divergence from what we've seen of the Conservative Party since they've been campaigning, which is basically trying to get us to forget that COVID is still happening, despite the fact that pretty much everyone is getting COVID now. And it's obviously not as serious in many cases, but it's still like almost everyone we know, at least one person in a family household is getting COVID. And It's just it's so different. And I really am happy that that type of long term response is being suggested by the NDP. Uh, You know, I I hope we see something similar from the Liberal Party, because I don't think this needs to be a partisan issue when it comes to understanding, you know, responsibility and and preparedness for, uh, you know, this this terrible pandemic that's that's still going on. Uh, Is there anything else just like broad strokes uh, before we get into the nitty gritty that you think really stands out uh, with the NDP platform? Yeah, I do think the labor part is really good. Simon Black, who's a, a labor studies professor at uh, Brock, just a, he's a great guy. 
I know him through through my time in academia. He did a really good kind of outline showing that, you know, this is in many ways maybe the most ambitious labor platform we've seen in 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 my lifetime, right? It's there's a lot here. Like like and he said like there is the $20 minimum wage by 2026. Now there's always going to be a be a debate by 2026 will 20 bucks be enough and the answer is probably not but it is good to see when a lot of the discourse is still like on the 15 bucks an hour in some places right so the Ontario NDP I think is moving towards a minimum wage that actually works uh, for workers and that will probably be closer to a living wage than you know the 15 bucks an hour that uh, is sort of uh, part of the discourse in the United States and in many other provinces um there's also, uh, I don't know if you mentioned a four-day week pilot. I think the liberals have talked about that. Yeah. Um, making it easier to join a union is critical. Card check certification is a big one with 55% threshold. As we've talked about before, uh, the biggest single barrier to forming a union is the window in between getting your card signed and having the vote. Because that's when the employer fucking cracks down hard right mm, and yeah. scares the workers and lies to the workers and intimidates the workers often breaking the law in the process but what are you going to do like you know hold employers to account we never do that right you know <laughs> so like they just break the law and then they hope that workers will vote against the union um uh, but what this says is car check certification with 55 percent, meaning that in a workplace of 100 people if you can get 55 uh, people to sign a card then you don't even need to have the vote the card constitutes a worker saying i wish to join a union that's wild it doesn't yeah. work that way no. to begin with that that seems yeah. like it intuitive. has in some cases in some places this was bernie sanders uh policy yeah. for instance but of course uh bernie didn't win I, I i don't know if biden i believe the pro act might include this biden's pro act but uh, but that's not passing the Senate. We we fucking know that, right? Like, you know, uh, but like, you know, it, it's good, right? It's a good thing. It'll yeah. make joining unions a lot easier. It won't be the uh, the panacea, of course, but it will it will lead to more workers unionizing. Uh, Anti scab legislation, which is great. We've seen that the NDP federally with the Liberals is working on that. That should uh, happen soon, which is good. Uh, it will you know ban the ability to use scab labor during uh, strikes and lockouts. Uh, first contract arbitration is crucial because one of the other bigger barriers to form a union, and this is something what we're definitely going to see happen with Amazon and Starbucks with all these new unionization efforts in the States, is that you get a union, you get your card signed, you win the vote, and then because the employer knows that your new fledgling union or local doesn't have a lot of resources, they basically drag their feet on on negotiations right mm. knowing that you can't really you don't start collecting dues until you get a a collective agreement in many cases and so the employer just uh stonewalls you right they, they for as long as they can uh and that's something that they're definitely looking at doing in many cases and provinces that have and jurisdictions that have first contract arbitration uh, make it easier for unions to get that first deal Right. To, to basically say that by law, we're going to drag the employer to the table to get a deal done uh, at some point. Uh, and uh, that makes it easier. Uh, and to mm -hmm. contract flipping, which is key. That's when, you know, uh, employers can violate uh, union provisions and other provisions by simply flipping the contract to another owner. 
that if a, if a workplace is unionized and has certain things, you can't just use a, a, a contract flip to invalidate all of that. And also addressing uh, gig uh, and contract worker misclassification. Uh, also a $25 minimum wage for uh, registered, uh, you know, uh, childcare, uh, uh, early childhood educators uh, and mm. 20 for all other daycare staff. I believe that's, I, I believe that's immediate. It doesn't have a timeline to it. Uh, 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 standardization of work and wage grids in childcare, uh, a raise to uh, for personal support workers of at least five dollars. Oh, that's so essential! Uh, and like four hundred dollars so a month could... for informal, which means they mean unpaid caregivers. So yeah. likely, I'm giving that's for family. Uh, mm -hmm. So you know, I know that's probably not enough, but that is a good amount. Uh, they would repeal Bill 124, which basically uh, is a uh, wage freeze bill on most of the public sector. Um, you know, that makes it very difficult for workers to demand higher wages uh, bad enough as it is. But with inflation right now, workers in the public sector are losing a lot of money because their earnings are capped. They, uh, from Breeze here, what's the, uh, most you can demand under bill 124? 1% of wages and 1% of bill contribution. You can, uh, so 2% total. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So you can, yeah, you can demand 1%. Increase wow. max employer doesn't have to give you one. Of course, they could give you none or take stuff, whatever. But by law, in much of the public sector in Ontario, you are not allowed to ask for more than one percent. You know, pre this inflationary period, that was bad enough. Mm -hmm. So you're you're basically your your union. You could strike. You could do whatever. By law, you're not allowed to demand more than that. Um, commitment to hire. Uh, 20,000 teachers and uh, other educational workers, uh, better enforcement of health care, uh, health and safety, uh, 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 part of the Green New Democratic deal, which a lot of people were confused about because um, there was the they had they released like a separate climate platform. So the main platform doesn't have a lot on climate, but it's because they have like a separate kind of like fold out almost on it. Uh, mm -hmm. And one thing they do plan is a 20% increase to uh, uh, Ontario Works and ODSP. Now, that's probably one of the biggest points of criticism because 20% is not enough. I know, like, you all, you see 20% and that's, like, a big amount, and it, but it's not. Like, people on yeah. disability in Ontario and pretty much everywhere in Canada live in squalid conditions. That wouldn't um, even reach SERP yeah, numbers, yeah, I believe, yeah. even so, with the like, 20% no, increase. That's probably one of the biggest criticisms, and I've seen a lot of people say 20% is not nearly enough. I think the Greens have proposed more than that, but if you look here, this is one consistent criticism, and I think validly so, 20% is not nearly enough. Like, I don't know mm -hmm. if you... You need to, like, double it. Like, you need to, like, literally yeah. double ODSP. Like... Because, like, apparently somebody says here, uh, one person on Twitter, I, I, I don't know this, so I don't want to read their name and stuff, but they said 20% is not enough, and, we, and we still, we're still way below the poverty line. Personally, my ODSP would only increase by 160 a month, so I'd go from 819 to 979. Not nearly That's enough. Wild. NDP is so disappointing lately, I won't be voting for them in this upcoming provincial election. Um, that's one person, of course, um, but their opinion matters. And, yeah, why not? Like it it seems like such an odd number to yeah. to limit yourself in yeah. when you know you could be no other party is going to push it that in this direction. Like I yeah. just from all of this stuff here and I know there's a little bit more you wanted to talk about, but I, I don't see the one or two big selling points that they can get up and, you know, Horvath can say on the podium that get people excited. I, mean, I the, see the a lot of labor piece, stuff, but yeah, I don't know. Like, piece, what do you think? I think. For a, a, like it's probably the mental health 
Okay. Piece that they can, if you recall, a couple weeks ago, they they kind of did the pre-launch where they hadn't released the full platform yet, but they came out with the the um the uh the statement around mm-hmm. um the mental health care, which is the which we talked about, which would be yeah. very helpful. Yeah. Like we did dis- yeah. decide, and so like, I think wow, that's a big really piece. Help. She's also okay. talked about pharmacare. Uh, I do think like that's probably aimed to be the big platform piece is the investment in in, in healthcare, which I think is helpful because it, it rates as one of the higher issues. People were polled on what they think the most important issues are. And this is, I think, one of the reasons why, um, you know, Ford is maybe not doomed as as we thought he would be in some cases because uh, COVID's not one of the major issues anymore. Right. This yeah. is the thing. Right. They've asked people. Um, they've asked people. You know, what issues matter most to you? And it says here, uh, this, sorry, this is national to be fair, but, you know, it says this was just done. Uh, jobs in the economy are 12 and then healthcare is 11 right there. We're up with mm. there with inflation and the environment. Uh, and so I think the NDP having that specific green, like new democratic deal uh, and healthcare probably is their, is their, is their main piece. And they've mm. talked about things like electoral reform. Um, the platform seemed to go over pretty well. People are always debating like the NDP strategy, like the Ontario NDP releases their platform early. On the one hand, um, it shows that you're organized. And if one of the fears of the electorate has is the NDP isn't organized um, because, you know, they're, they're, they, 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 they haven't governed. They've only governed once in Ontario. They rarely govern. Are they really able to do it? Uh, you release your platform to prove that. But it sort of maybe takes away some of the oomph of doing it when most people are paying attention. And at least hypothetically, it allows people to kind of like look at what you're doing and then adjust. So, for example, the Ontario NDP has long talked about um, basically ending private long-term care. That's something that's still on the platform. Uh, and, but the liberals have sort of now said, oh, we're going to do that too, right? <laughs> Which is not something they were supporting even a few weeks ago. Um, wow. And so, you know, that could be, you know, it gives Del Duca, hypothetically at least, the opportunity to read the platform and then respond in kind. I'm not necessarily suggesting that the liberals are, um, you know, going to rewrite their entire platform based on what the NDP released. But it does give, uh, you know, when you go first, you lose the ability to narratively respond to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Although the liberals, I don't know if their responses are quite right. I, th- I just want to talk about this. I don't know if everybody saw this, but the Ontario liberals have a... Uh, war room account uh where they they share like cool cool yeah <laughs> analyses about the election and their quick responses all the parties have this they might not call it a war room but every party has this uh and then they shared a andrea flyer which is like you know it's a it's, a, it's actually a pretty good one it's sharp andrea looks happy she's shaking people's hands and in the background some guy is drinking out of a bottle that may be beer. We don't even know what it is. Uh, and so they circle it and they like point to it. And it's like, well, at Ontario NDP, we finally figured out why your platform math is always so wonky. Because it's like, oh, we're drunks, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because there's every, one dude yeah. in the background that has yeah, a Yeah, one dude in the background who, again, it could be kombucha. A lot of people are saying it looks like a kombucha <laughs> bottle, maybe. But, the, you know, the liberals on the one hand are saying that the Ontario NDP is desperate because the Ontario NDP is attacking both 
Ford and Del Duca, both the liberals and conservatives. And then this is the attack they muster on the Ontario oh, NDP. It's just so cringe. It's so like yeah. Del Duca cringe. Like yeah. that guy just really, we'll have to see how he fares. But I, I just think like leadership wise, even if you're not a big fan of Horvath, which a lot of our polling in the last little while has shown, maybe you're not. I, Del Duca is uniquely uncharismatic for this one moment in time. Like it just, I, 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 I don't see how people get really excited about rallying around him. Uh, I did want to point out, maybe it is just kind of like the topic du jour in the last couple of weeks. You know, we talked about it. I know a lot of other people did, but I, I do feel like this idea of housing, affordable housing, might find bigger purchase in this election than maybe some of the initial polling thought. It just seems to be like in the ether pretty heavy right now. Maybe it is too early and it'll fizzle out. But, you know, the fact that there isn't a bigger push there from what we've seen on the platform so far from the NDP makes me wonder if they're missing out on something that, you know, is at least being talked about. It's in the culture, I think, a little bit now more than it was uh, previously. And maybe it is just a wave and we'll go back to healthcare and, you know, she'll scream at Ford for fucking killing people during this pandemic. And and just like it's it's also crazy that so many of the big moves that are in the NDP platform are just going back to the levels that Ford undercut, you know, like before the pandemic began like that. That's kind of wild to me that it isn't bigger when it comes to some of the healthcare um, choices that are being made here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Christos, you think overall this is a, a pretty good push and you think the big two platform pushes that we're going to see is going to be uh, healthcare one and then a little bit of the very ambitious uh, labor platform, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely going to be a, a, a big part of it. You know, the environment's going to be a big part of it. Who knows if it's going to work? I mean, as of right now, I mean, I, I just feel like what this election is going to be about in the first day is like, do do voters coalesce around either the Ontario Liberals or the Ontario NDP, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then how does that manifest? I don't know if you've been seeing it, but I've been getting a lot of Ontario NDP ads on YouTube. Uh, yeah. You know, they have uh, more money than the, uh, the, the the Liberals do at the at the at the provincial level. That could have a, an effect. Um. And then after that, it's just about trying to uh, become the alternative to Ford. Right now, yeah. right now, uh, you know, she has ground to make up. Andrew Horwath has ground. To, she needs to make up ground. Um, but, you know, Del Duca is fairly unpopular uh, and he's not even well known. I mean, hypothetically, mm-hmm. that could be a double-edged sword. Like, it's obviously bad going into your an election where no one knows who you are and you're not well-liked. But I guess that does hypothetically mean you can win people over, right? Like they don't could, know how yeah. much they dislike. Yeah, you yet. <laughs> yeah, it could get it could get way worse, right? If they really don't, if he ends up being unlikable on the debate yeah. stage and on the campaign trail. But you know, if if maybe people will like him and and he'll have a chance to win them over. But I'm I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, but right now we're and we're in a scenario where uh, it still looks like Ford is going to win if you look if you believe the polls. But a minority government is uh, is is fairly possible. Exciting times here in Ontario. So we'll see 
if Horvath and the NDP can be seen as the real alternative, the the cultural alternative here. And uh, yeah, obviously, we're going to be deep into all this in the coming weeks. Uh, Last week, I, of course, asked everyone, send us some messages, what you think, what you thought. I did a little joke at the beginning, but we did get a lot of questions. So if you do want to join our little community, patreon.com slash left turn Canada, just a buck a month if you want. And you can join Discord and we try to answer these questions. I have one question here from Christopher Reed. We got a few questions. We'll see how many we can get through before the time runs out. Uh, This is from Christopher Reed, who wanted to know, Christo, about the NDP slash CCF founding, being founded by prairie farmers and why today that party is so unpopular in rural communities. He says, I live in Manitoba and I really want to know why the NDP is so unpopular in these rural ridings across the country when that is historically their base. What do you think the NDP could add to their platform to appeal to these rural communities? Because as we've seen, you know, unfortunately, especially here in Ontario, that NDP progressivism, even if it does have this historical basis, just hits a wall when we get out of uh, most major cities. So, yeah, what, what do you think? It's a big question, but what are your thoughts on it? Well, yeah, we should be clear, like, not all rural areas are the same, right? Like, yeah. the Ontario NDP and the N- and the NDP still does well in certain rural areas when they're, they're, they're less farming or former farming rural and maybe more mining and, and logging rural, right? You know what I mean? Mm. Like, Charlie Angus and Nikki Ashton, just as examples, represent largely r- rural ridings in some ways. Um, you know, often with, like, you know, a city in them, but they're they're not, you know, they're not downtown Toronto, Vancouver, all of those things, right? Um, I think one factor is that we have to remember that the Ontario, the the NDP and CCF always did well in cities too, right? Like Mm. before (laughs) the CCF, (laughs) the, 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 the late, like the JS Woodsworth seat was in like urban Winnipeg, which Mm. at the time was, uh, proportionally much bigger than Winnipeg is now. It was the third biggest city in Canada after Toronto and Montreal, uh, one of the industrial hubs of the entire West, um, you know, big city type thing, right? Uh, NDP's mm-hmm. always won seats in places like, you know, uh, in urban BC, for instance. But you are right in saying that the NDP, especially in places like Saskatchewan, where they used to win big governments, which would necessitate necessitate you winning both in the country and the city, that's not there anymore. I'm not exactly sure why it's happened. I, I mean, I can't give a simple answer. I think one of the factors is that um, the NDP was really successful in some ways, and by addressing some of the economic issues that have faced certain rural communities, certain farming communities, they then became very successful and they sort of didn't need the NDP anymore to fight for <laughs> That's them. That's interesting. <laughs> and you know, it's like, you know, you, now you're, you make decent money. So maybe you don't want to pay taxes as much. Um, but for whatever reason, the, the NDP has sort of lost people on the culture war in those areas. And I know one of the common arguments people make, and maybe there's some validity to it, is the NDP is like, oh, we're too woke. We're too woke. Uh, is the, the you know, we're, we, we talk about the LGBTs and the, and the blah, blah, blahs, and we're too woke. And, you know, if we just sacrifice the trans people, we'd form government, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's like this, this narrative here, which is highly, I, I think, inappropriate, but also I think a little wrong because 
the CCFNDP has always so been like a social liberal party. Yeah. Like, right? They've always been a party of social liberalism. Um, you know, they were the party that supported uh, not taking away the fundamental human rights of Japanese people, giving Japanese people the right to vote in many cases. They were one of the first parties to speak up to give indigenous people citizenship. Uh, the Ontario, the, you know, the, the NDP has always been, was one of the first parties to give mainstream support to LGBTQ rights in the, in like the 70s and the 60s to some degree, certainly by the 80s. Um, most of the Ontario NDP caucus in 19, in the 1990s voted to legalize gay marriage. Uh, but Bob Ray, the coward that he was, let it be a vote of conscience and enough NDPers joined with almost all the liberals and conservatives to be homophobes. Uh, but most of the NDP, even in the early 1990s in Ontario, uh, voted for gay marriage. Um, the party's always been the party of social liberalism. So I don't know. I don't know if rural Canadians have become more conservative. Like, I don't know if uh, it's based on certain environmental positions now, but it's it's one of those questions. Yeah, I don't have a full answer because, again, um, the like the, they, the there used to be more CCF success in rural areas, especially at the provincial level, if you're looking at Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Uh, federally, it's a bit more checkered uh, because, you know, kind of quickly the NDP started winning more and more ridings, especially in the, like the Ontario, the NDP has rarely been successful in rural Ontario, for instance, or rural Quebec. Yeah. We've, you know, except in the last, uh, during the Mulcair era, they were able to win a lot of seats in rural uh, Quebec. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. In terms of policies, I mean, I think you have to look at addressing uh access issues but i don't know if that's going to really drive votes they talked about this that in the united states like is it enough to to actually give people what they want and need in some of these areas if like the culture of war issues mean something to people right yeah like like biden can talk about broadband the ndp can talk about broadband access in the in rural areas but uh, how do you address uh, the culture issues, you know, yeah, um, I do wonder, you, you do mention that about, is it just a cultural shift and change? You know, uh, the question answer does say like, maybe it is just a messaging issue that they've just had, there hasn't been a victory there for, you know, a certain amount of time. So it's just not seen as an option. Whereas if they maybe win once, maybe all of a sudden it's like, okay, yeah, this is a real, uh, alternative. I think we're, you know, seeing that here in Ontario. We just, you know, the the NDP are now fighting for this idea that they can be the alternative party. Do you think maybe it is just like, you know, people just don't assume they can, so they don't vote for them? I mean, that's probably part of it. Then in a lot of these ridings, uh, they're either just not very competitive, which is to yeah. say, like the conservatives just just win, just win outright. You know what I mean? Like they they just dominate, uh, and so. Um, if you if you look at it that way, um, there there's like it doesn't matter. Like you're gonna vote mm -hmm. NDP to get the twelve percent or the liberals to get the twelve. Uh, and maybe in some of these ridings, people like the liberals do slightly better, so people just vote liberal as a general expression to not vote conservative in those particular mm -hmm. ridings. Um, that could be part of it, but I don't know if that's the whole thing, right? Because uh, you know, it'd be more competitive if yeah, it was that. There'd yeah, be at least a little I more. mean, I don't know, right? I mean, but look, I think part of it is like, I don't know 
because because things are different now maybe like mm. I, I don't know if in the past and this is something i'd have to do more research on again is to look at the differentiation of like ideology and voting patterns between the city and the country in the past because 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 demographic differentiation is not constant necessarily for instance uh, this is something in the, that a lot of people are talking about in the u.s uh, especially is that education didn't used to matter as much when it came to determining your vote. It mattered, um, but never as much, right? Mm. It never mattered as much. Uh, for instance, now uh, going to university, especially among white people, is a massive determinant. If you are mm. not college educated, you are heavily Republican among white people, very heavily, plus R25. Yeah. And if you're in the lot and, and, and you are very pro Democrat, and this is a recent trend, if you are white and college educated, uh, if you are uh, people of color, it, it trends the same. But there, since a lot of them are already Democrat anyway, the effect of education among non white people yeah. is smaller. So the point is, it didn't always used to be like that. Same thing with gender. There wasn't always a massive differential in how men and women voted on like by party or on issue, right? wasn't always mm -hmm. sometimes there was sometimes there wasn't but now that's bigger and so i always, yeah, no we saw in the last election yeah. if only you know women of color voted we would have an amazing electorate here in canada like well, exactly when they showed right? the polling there it was like wow they they really tried to save the day yeah. in a lot of ways. but like even look here like part of this is just i i don't know i don't know what the issue is and i don't know how you fix it even the alberta ndp if you remember the alberta ndp won in 2015 and they got 40.57 percent of the vote <laughs> And won a massive majority because, again, first past the post is broken, right? It's broken yeah. because the Wild Rose won 21 seats with 24% of the vote. And the conservatives had more votes than them, but got about one third the seats, right? The conservative, mm -hmm. the progressive conservatives. If you look at the map, the map is almost entirely green. There are more uh, rural wins for the NDP than you would normally see. But even with this big majority... They're almost their entire seat base was in Edmonton and Calgary and other smaller <laughs> cities, your Lethbridges, your Red Deers, your Medicine Hats, etc. Right. Mm -hmm. Like in general, they didn't have much success, success in rural areas. And so I almost wonder like what it will take. It might just be the case that the economic interests have changed in these areas. Um, that that they're that they're having an effect it might also be the case that in some of these cases if you look historically some of the ridings were rural but they also included maybe more cities uh and so the riding would be rural but with a substantive or ur uh, ur urban uh portion and that might have allowed the ndp to win some of these areas where they could get a, a city and get enough votes in the country with the rise mm -hmm. of cities it maybe makes gives more cities their own dedicated uh ridings which makes the 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 rural areas bigger ridings that include less cities potentially making mm -hmm. them more conservative because it might have been the case historically maybe medicine hat didn't always get a district it was always included in the rural areas but maybe now it does at least provincially so it's it was orange in this but like the areas around medicine hat were not orange necessarily uh and so maybe they were deep uh deep at uh, that one deep wild rose or at least moderately wild rose who knows but like i mean this is a question i don't have the answer for um because one i've never really lived rurally um, I grew up mm -hmm. in New Brunswick and lived mostly in the city. 
and New Brunswick, the NDP, didn't have a lot of success in any case. Um, but it's something that we have to really deal with. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but but well, also... You, you talked a lot... I don't know. You're on a lot of angles with it. Like, yeah. it's definitely not one answer or one issue. Like, there is about changing demographics. The the areas are changing. The, the districts are changing. The people are changing. The reason why people vote, the lines yeah. in which they vote I mean, on have changed. Like, it's, it's, pretty, could, it's pretty impactful. Yeah. I mean, if we could, like... If we could, for lack of a better, like just hypothetically change things and go to a scenario where, where we have a proportional system where people don't have to vote a certain way based on where they are. Maybe you would see more, more uh, votes for the NDP in rural areas because they think it, it would matter more and maybe more votes yeah. for conservatives in the city. But I'm not exactly sure what, what needs to, what the NDP needs to do. Uh, and, and. Maybe it's not even feasible. Like maybe mm -hmm. that's the thing, right? Like maybe like maybe the NDP's priority should be less rural areas and more suburbia. How do we deal mm -hmm. with that? Right? Back in the past, suburbs were small. You had cities and you had countryside. The suburbs are mostly a, a World War II, you know, after creation. Maybe the NDP's priority shouldn't be winning rural areas and be winning the suburbs. That's yeah. where the NDP has a lot of weakness still. I mean, that's the reason Horwath lost. Mm -hmm. If Horwath was good in the suburbs, she wouldn't have needed rural areas, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So I, I, I do. It is fascinating to look at, and but I think the 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 real question about the historical precedence that that uh, what's his name that Christopher had about this of the, like having that basis and why that doesn't translate now. I think like maybe a simple answer, if I if I may, as you explained at length, is just that like it's not based on the same terms. Like it, it's not the same sort of party that it was then. People don't vote necessarily for the same reasons. So this idea that just because there's a foundation that's based in some rural areas, maybe, but like you said, <laughs> there's still a, a large uh, base of support in uh, cities that doesn't necessarily mean that it's just going to work again or that it could work again. So I, I do, yeah. hopefully that gives you a good enough answer, folks. Uh, we're going long this week. Thank you all for listening and uh, pitching your, your ideas and your questions. We have more questions, but we're already going long. So if you have any more, please send them to us or join our little Discord, and we'll see you next week.